0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at
1: Story City Church.
0: Good morning. My name is Robert. Um, I'm going to do the scripture reading this morning. I'm going to do it both in uh, English and Dutch. So I'm pretty new to the church. I'm like two months Thank you. And I ask you to please stand for the word of the Lord. It's going to be Matthew 5:33 till 37 Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. But I tell you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it's God's throne. Or by the earth, because it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. All right, now I'm going to read it in Dutch. <coughs> in the Wet van Mozes staat ook: you must to. U moet zich aan uw eed houden. Wat u voor God hebt gezworen, moet u nakomen. Maar ik zeg: zwerk nooit. Zeg niet: ik zwerk bij de hemel, want de hemel is de troon van God. Of ik zwerk bij de aarde, want de aarde is Gods voetenbank. Of ik zwerk bij Jeruzalem, want dat is de stad van de grote koning. Zeg ook niet: ik zwerk bij mijn hoofd, want u kunt niet één haar wit of zwart maken. Houdt u aan uw woord. Ja is ja en nee is nee. That's the word of the Lord. That's the word of the Lord.
1: Good job, man. Well, good morning, Story City. How are you? I know there's several of you that probably speak a language and are never going to admit it now, because you're going to probably have to come up and read. So... Hey, some of you know my wife is gone for the weekend, and you've asked how it's going, so here's how it's going. <laughs> I offered Davey a chance to wear his jammies to church today at a desperate attempt to not have to uh, change him, and then we may or may not have left him in the car briefly for a moment here. So, so when she comes back, none of this happened, all right? So what happens at Story City when Megan's gone stays at Story City when Megan's gone. Now let's preach about honesty, okay? Okay. <laughs> So, real quick, I'm one of the elders here at church. Some of you ask, what does an elder do? And and there's a couple things I'll just briefly explain so you guys get a picture of kind of what what I do. We meet actually twice a month um, here. One of the things we do is we, we look after and shepherd the spiritual health of the church and the direction. And specifically, one of the things elders do as well is they help take care of Jared. So one of the things as being a head pastor, right, he needs care as well. And that's one of the jobs that we do is help take care of him. So I wanted you to know that. One of the things you also may have noticed is we preach expositionally at Story City. Um, That's just a fancy word for we take a passage and we start at the beginning and we move through it. There's a couple things I wanted to note as we are now working our way through what's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. One of the things I wanted you to see is a couple of the benefits of preaching that way. First, you get a chance to see this overall arc of what a teaching is, right? No passage is taken out of context, you get to see the entire picture. And what is Jesus' heart? What is he getting after? Last week, Jared drew the short straw and got to preach on divorce and adultery, (laughs) which means that we can't avoid the tough topics. So Jesus preached on it. Sometimes we have a view of Jesus that is, he was just this great guy that never went there. He does. And we find out what he's willing to speak on. We realize the wide variety of topics Jesus preached on, and we also get a chance to see what matters to Jesus. Where is his heart at? One of the things you may have noticed is a lot of what Jesus started these sections is, is you have heard it said blank. It was actually a pretty um, controversial comment each time. Because in reality, Jesus is correcting widespread misteaching that was happening in the church. And so in our passage today, we see this again. It says, again, you've heard, there's that offensive comment the ancients said, and then he quotes the Old Testament, you shall not make false vows, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. And, and he goes on to talk about vowing on heaven and earth and the throne and ultimately arrives at this um, idea that may your, your yes be yes and your no be no. So what is he saying? Is he, is, he, is he asking us to be dishonest? He says, don't vow. Stop it. Stop making these vows. Well, here's what's happening. And let me, let me kind of back it up a little bit for us. Um, in early scripture, God calls his people to be a people of honesty. And to pursue God. And God takes this very serious. In fact, maybe you've heard of the Ten Commandments. The Second Commandment says this You shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain. And if you think, if you grew up in Christian circles, you would have been taught this is all about not swearing, right? That's not what it's about. The call of the Second Commandment is making a claim of following God and not taking it serious. Do not take my name. Don't call yourself a follower of me in vain. You see, a call to follow God is not one taken lightly. It's meant and designed by God to be life-changing. So the second commandment is bringing us to this. See, this is why God speaks out against leaders and pastors and politicians who use Christianity, following Christ, as a piece of collateral to trade for what they're truly after. That's not truthful living, and that's what we wanted. That's what he's trying to get at here in this passage, the heart of this. You see, God's people had cheapened truth so much that they had created a collateral system to bring value back to truth. I swear by my head that I will be there. I swear by the temple's gold that that didn't happen. You see, you may have heard it in, I swear on my mother's what? Grave. Grave. There you go. I promise I will blank. In my car, I've heard this before. Not not on the front seat driver, in the back seat. You can punch me in the face if I don't end up blank. (laughs) That must have really meant that truth. You know, the thought was the greater the value you tied your words to, the more you must have meant it. And so the truthier truthfulness you were exchanging there. In our passage, the collateral of the day was various personal items, Right? Swear on my head, may God strike me down if I do not complete what I promised, right? Various religious artifacts were thrown out, the gold of the temple, um, so on. You see, Jesus is saying something here. He says, don't drag me into this cheapening of truth as your collateral. He says, enough, enough with this. No more making promises that you can't keep. No more making promises that you had no intention of going after. You can imagine the chaos this must have produced. You know, Steve, you come in? Yeah, I promise on this. Well, that's not very valuable. Probably not going to show up, are you? Right? What did he promise on? Oh, his mother-in-law? Yeah, he ain't showing up. (laughs) Who did he promise on? One of his kids. Which one was it? The one he left in the car? Probably not going to have it. <laughs> That's bonus. That's not even in my notes. That's just real life happening in front of us. So. Here's the first point. First observation today. Jesus calls us all into God's truth, which is firm. You see, one of the things that Jesus is teaching is very clear and very consistent on through his entire life is that truth is not subjective. In fact, Jesus later goes on to make this outrageous statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How offensive is that? You want to go to God? He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, he goes further near the end of his life as he was before Pilate about to die. He says this, for this reason I was born. I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Whoever Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, and then of course, Pilate tragically asks the question: What is truth? See, Jesus makes an exclusive claim to truth. Well, what are the implications of that? When Jesus makes this claim to truth, says, "I am the truth, not a truth, not a way of truth, not one of many truths, because I am the truth, well, first of all, here's an offensive observation: Your truth doesn't matter. Should I say it again? That stings a little. To be clear, and I want to be really clear on this, I did not say you don't matter. I didn't say you don't have value. I didn't say your story wasn't welcome here. But the reality is, when Jesus makes an exclusive claim to truth, he is making a claim on establishing what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is bad. It's a moral claim. And Jesus is saying, no matter the topic... I have some truth in that, encompasses a lot of aspects of life, relationships and marriage, conflict, the church, suffering, rest, identity, life and death, prayer, addiction, kindness. We could go on and on. But can I be gentle but firm for a second? Some of us need to stop pursuing our claim of truth and start pursuing God's truth. Here's the reality. Pursuing our own truth is exhausting and futile. I remember meeting a friend years ago. I call this the carousel. He had been through something. He was young. He'd been five years through it. He came around. He goes, Josh, can we talk? And I said, are you ready? Are you ready to stop pursuing your own truth and pursue God's truth? And you know what his answer was? Not yet. One more time around. I think I've got it figured out, right? (laughs) And I said, I'll be here. I'm not going with you on your invitation to go around this carousel, but I will be here. In five years, I will be here. I said, you will not be in a better spot. You'll be worse. But he went around that carousel one more time. and Some of his friends literally didn't make it, survived that ride. Here's my second point. A life of truth starts in our heart. Jesus was pre-teaching that we are only capable of living a life of truth if our hearts are pursuing him. In the Bible, there's a story of a, of a man named King David. Some of you are very familiar with this. Those of you who weren't, he was a king. Um, he loved God. Um, he wanted to pursue God. But there was a portion of his life where he was living out a life of lies and deceptions that no one knew about. It was hidden. And the king thought he could basically produce his own morality through a combination of power and control and even worse, religious piety, right? He was considered one of the religious leaders of his time, and he thought that would allow him permission to make up the truth that he wanted. But as God pursued him, we're going to come back to that point, to confess and live a life aligned to God's truth. He wrote something in Psalm 51 that I want you to see. He says this, Behold, this is David writing, Behold, you, God, desire truth, In the innermost being, in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. See, he didn't say, How do I live an exterior life where my words are truthful? He said, I need truth where? Innermost innermost being. He said, if I have want a chance to be able to speak, keep my oaths, keep my promises, it starts with my heart. And my heart has to be truthful. So that then my life and my words can be expressed by this. See, he recognized that his natural instinct was to protect and lie, put up a facade and hide and bury it all, and the reality is, and cope with the guilt and the consequences of living our own truth. This isn't the first time. You don't get very far in your Bible. Genesis 3, very first book, third chapter in, Adam and Eve have done the same thing, right? Right? They've decided they were going to create their own truth, live their own lives, live their best truth, right? They were probably writing a bestseller at that time called Living Your Best Truth. This should never have been read or written, and something happens. Their lives begin to crumble, and in Genesis 3.8, there's this tragic line again that says this, they, that is Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They used to have a relationship with him. This would have been that moment they would have said, he's here, let's go talk to him. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. See, a dishonest life leads us to hiding. And how ridiculous is that? Where were they hiding? In the trees that God had made who could see everything. So by the way, our best attempts to hide from God look fairly foolish. Here again is the reaction of a heart that does not want to be exposed or seen. Our natural reaction is to hide and cover up what we've done. We exchange a life of truthfulness with a life of hiding and believe we can accept the shame and guilt that comes with it. Can I say this? And some of you know this from my own experience. You've shared it with me before. A life of shame and guilt is a heavy life. That's a heavy life to live. So David's prayer is first acknowledging that God's fix for a dishonest life is that his heart or the very fabric of who he is needs to change and that God needs to teach him and his heart to pursue God's truth. But how does this happen? How does our heart become rewired for truthfulness? Well, that's the story of the Bible, right? The Bible says that God is the one who changes heart. In fact, the story of the Bible is the story of God's plan to change our hearts. We are broken and our natural desire is to build our own truth, our own kingdoms, our own castles, and we are in need of God to change our heart and rescue us from the disastrous consequences a life of our own made-up truth happens. This is what we refer to as the gospel. The gospel means good news, that Jesus came to pay the consequences of our lives so that we can be made new in the innermost being. This actually matches, I think, what Jesus says. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, let me break this down for you, right? He says, I'm the way, right? There's this question built into this. Are you searching for meaning and purpose? Are you tired of pursuing your own kingdom? If you are, look to me. I am the way. My friend with the carousel, are you tired of doing your own way? His answer was no, not yet. And he went around one more time, right? But the answer is still the same I am the way. He also says, I'm the truth. Are you tired of trying to define morality, right and wrong, only to find that the ability to control your morals is an exercise in futility and your life begins to unravel and becomes out of control. Look to me, for my truth is solid and can sustain you for a lifetime. Isn't that amazing? A lifetime of truth. In one relationship, when I was younger, when I was not saved, I remember trying to create my own moral boundaries. It was like drawing a line in the sand and saying, "Okay, I won't go past that line," because even I have dignity, right? But even as the sand was still being drawn, I found myself on the other side and kept drawing line after line, saying, "I won't guard now. Now I won't go any further." Okay, now now I won't go any further. I promise I won't go any further. Right? I swear on my mother's grave that I won't go any further. And on and on we went until my collateral was completely used up at that point. And I was found to be exactly what I was, which was not truthful even to myself. And lastly, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and he says, the life. Are you weary of a destructive life lived outside of God's truth? Jesus offers a heart made new that not only can live truthfully, but even desires to. Isn't it interesting? Sometimes we just want neutrality with God. Can we just just go into our own corners and walk away? And Jesus says, nope, we're going to do life, we're going to do relationship together, and I will change your desires to want to pursue me. This leads me to my final point. Living a life pursuing God's truth is freeing. The end of our passage, Jesus makes this simple statement May your yes be yes and your no be no. How freeing would that have been if you were caught up in trying to figure out how truthful someone was based on the collateral that they had put in the oath? Must have been exhausting. So I have four RSVPs to my party. Two swore on their mother-in-law, so they're not going to be here. Two swore on this. They seem like they're going to be here. I think we have enough hot dogs and chicken for this party. Like, just even, even simple things like that would have been exhausting, let alone trying to do relationship and life together when truth was so fluid and something to be negotiated. See, a life pursuing God's truth means no more playing games with the truth, no more complex systems of measuring truth, no more finding our own truth, No more complex ways of hiding or covering up. Remembering the lies that covered the lie from before the lie. No more elders standing on stage who live one way in front and at home or something different. That's here. No more people coming to church, living one way and going home and living another. See how we threw everyone under the bus there? No more polished exteriors but lost on the inside. These pursuits are prison. But what is more amazing is the freedom we receive that drives us to deeper relationship with God and a greater degree of being known. Remember that whole story we just said, the passage of Genesis. Adam and Eve hid. They did not want God to find them, right? This was this piece that says, I'm okay where I'm hiding. In fact, God, if you just went away, it would be okay with me. Leave me where I am. But one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, it comes right after that. Did God know where they were? Had he lost them? Was this a GPS problem? I can't find you. You turned off your find a phone app and I've lost you, Adam and Eve. Great job hiding under the bushes. I can't find you. He hasn't lost them, but he does this thing. He asks this question in Genesis 3. He says, where are you? So a God who knows where they are asks a question. When God asks a question in the Bible, pay attention, he's getting at something different than the question he's asking. This isn't a, hey Adam and Eve, I kind of freaked out for a minute, couldn't find you, (laughs) wringing my hands over this. This is a question of relationalness. Adam and Eve, we used to greet each other and meet each other, but now you're hiding. Where are we relationally? But it's also a God who went and found them and asked that question. We used to live a life, right, Adam and Eve, that was open and honest, and now that's broken. We've already put that in. Jesus came to die to save us so that we can then live that honest life again. And we can stop hiding. Actually, in Psalm 139, David, the same one who had, who had lied and had lived this life of dishonesty, goes further and says this, search me, O God. Well, that's different than before. He's not just saying, hey, I, I'm okay with us just kind of knowing each other a little. He invites God into his heart and says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me And the way everlasting. There's that thing again. The way. The way everlasting. And Jesus comes and says, I am the what? The way. Think these things are connected in the Bible? Here David is saying, search me. He's actually inviting God in. And he goes even further. He says, try me. Push on me. Squish my life so that something comes out that you can then deal with. Because I know, God, there's more in my heart that needs to be changed than even I know. And God, when you do the pressing and the squishing of my life and my heart, what comes out of me, you're willing to deal with. You're not afraid of it. You can deal with it. You see, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I believe he, that is Jesus, embodied the answer to David's prayer, echoed all the way down through history. David, I heard your prayer for a new heart that was capable of honest living, and I heard your prayer for me to own that heart and lead you to life. You don't need to hide anymore. So it's not just a God who says, where are you because you're in deep trouble. It's a God who says, where are you because I want you to be healed. I don't want you to live that life. But it's more than that, right? You've spent a lot of time talking about this idea of dishonesty versus honesty. I taught taught four-year-old Sunday school for three years. I've done my time. There was 40 kids in the class. I did a five-minute lesson on sneaking and hiding and being dishonest. It was the quietest you've ever seen 44-year-olds in your life. <laughs> Left, went home. Next day, a parent calls me up and goes, what did you teach on? And I thought, I can't remember, first of all. And what did I say? And I just babbled something about honesty or sneaking or something. She goes, my daughter came home. And all of a sudden, she started confessing. And then I stole candy yesterday, and I didn't do this one thing. And they said, thank you for teaching. Her heart was convicted, and I thought, fantastic. But even four-year-olds, right, know what dishonest living is. And here God calls us to this. But, but I think the freeing nature of living honestly before God goes beyond just lying and living in a way that's false. Um, maybe you're suffering deep loss, and that raw heartbreak is so heavy you don't know, A, if you can bear it, and B, if you can take it to God. The Psalms are filled with the honest cries of the brokenhearted. Being brutally honest with God. And God's response is always to shoulder that burden. So when we say living honestly, sometimes it's not about lies, it's just about being truthful to where we are. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of lack of justice. You've been hurt, and no justice will ever be done. Maybe it's been just betrayal. Maybe it's been a crime. Never gonna get caught. God calls us to share our honest cries for justice and rest in a God who knows and sees all truth. Maybe you've said, I'll never trust again. I've been hurt. And here's the amazing thing. God invites us not to go and trust people more first. He invites us to trust Him first. Remember I always said God is a lifetime of trustworthiness? Sometimes we stand on that early in our lives and sometimes we need to be reminded that God's trustworthiness lasts a lifetime no matter what you go through. God's truth and his trustworthiness is there for us. Andy, I invite the band back up, but I have one more point here. Maybe you've experienced racial injustice or prejudice of your friends and family and you've seen how slow the church is to acknowledge that truth. Well, we know that our God is a God of all truth who is willing to bear and share that witness for you. Another Ten Commandments, bearing false witness. God as a witness when others refuse to acknowledge. God is a God of freedom. He's committed to freeing us from the bondage that threatens to hold us. His path to life goes beyond, sorry, let me say it again. His path of life grows through the road of truth, his truth, which is solid. Maybe you've thought, I'm going I'm to quote something, and this is Jesus. Maybe you thought it was just a quote from Gandhi, but I love this, right? Here it is, ready? John 8, 31, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you know Jesus said that? You could put that on Facebook and put a whole lot of names on them and I'm like, that sounds about right. That was Jesus inviting us into truth and that truth will set us free. May all in this room experience the freedom that honest, truthful living offers. And may our yes be yes and our no be no. And may we learn what Jesus' yeses are and his noes that we may rest on that. I'm grateful for that. And as we go, I'm just going to pray real quick. And then church, go and be the free and truthful church. God, we just thank you for your word that is abundantly clear. You do not compete for truth. You are truth. I pray that you would bless all those in this room, some who need to hear that you are a God of truth and they can rest on that because they have not experienced a life done to them full of dishonesty. I pray that you would bless all those in this room who need to be honest with you, Some of us are like David. We've walked with you for years and yet we find ourselves in a spot that we need to go back and have an honest conversation about where we are. Others need to know that they have a God that pursues them and that hiding is not needed anymore. You're a God who finds us but then redeems us and restores us and gives us a new heart that is capable of following you. Bless those in this room. In your name, amen.